Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Welcome to Queer Relationships. Some of the episodes in our lineup are what we call a relationships Q&A, a safe space for everyday folks to talk with a therapist about a problem or topic with the hope that others can relate and gain insight into their own journeys. My partner right now, like the thing that um, she's really, she has such a good sense of home and family. And I don't, I don't. And I guess that does make me emotional because, um, because I've adapted. I've become so good at adapting and creating a home in wherever I am and having family uh, at a distance but also creating chosen family. So like there's all these things that I'm like, okay, well, what do normal people do when they have family or have a home? And I, that's another place, I think, if I'm honest, that I feel the imposter syndrome. Today's guest brought a great conundrum to our show, one that many queer people face, living as one integrated being. Being a queer person in a professional space, a spiritual person in a gay setting, or even a woman in a man-centered world. Integrating all parts of who we are can be quite the riddle, and the remedy might just surprise you. Take a listen. I read a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I loved what you were wanting to talk about today, but yeah, kind of give me a snapshot. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I think, um, I guess if I had to start somewhere, I'll start recently. So, um, as of 2018, I think was the first time. So within the last two years, I finally, I guess, come to a place where I've started to, um, fully come aware and like live into all of the different parts of my life. Cause I've been I think up until that point, I was very segmented um, in all, like in even within myself and who I was, not only what I did, but um, yeah, so it's only been two years that I've been on this journey of actually trying to fully um, live into all the parts of myself, my different intersections, and then like through that, live out of that also. So it's been, it's pretty fresh. And I'm like, oh, how did it take me this long to get here? (laughs) (laughs) Integration is hard so hard it is so hard because i feel like closeted life splits us into so many fragments and we're code switching and we're hiding and we're mm-hmm. you know i hide this with that people and show this part and then i flip for this other group and and then to finally come to a place where we're sewing all of those pieces of our identity back together mm-hmm. you know takes us a very long time <laughs> okay i feel better yeah <laughs> yeah Tell me what kind of um, parts of self were at one point disintegrated. What what kind of parts of you are there? Well, I think um, going, I actually, I'm, I, I guess I could sum this up in, I've asked um, a friend to work on creating a logo for me that represents me. And it's really unique to, um, and she point blank was like, okay, well, who are you then? I'm like, oh, damn, that's a really hard question. <laughs> I don't know. So, like, who am I in symbols? Sure. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. not even words, but symbols. Right. And so that was a really revealing part of me because um, if I were to ask other people who I am, then I would get things like, oh, feminist, activist, environmentalist, uh, spiritual person, um, queer. Like, 
and but all of those things like that are reflected onto me because of how people see me versus um what I like self-identify as has been very interesting so I guess if I had to go back um I yeah the self-identifying thing was a really delayed for me because I was um the very uh I spent the lar- a large part of my teen years so very very important years of my life mm-hmm. um growing up in an evangelical um church so um charismatic evangelical at that so a lot of that um identity is obviously put put on hold so because you're not supposed to self-identify your identity is in christ your identity is solely in him and what um he wants you to do for your life your future your calling all of those things so um so that obviously would be why i'm a little bit delayed um in that regard but it was really interesting um so i i spent my youth years obviously in youth group and then being raised up as a leader in youth group and then being called to bible school and going through bible school for the four years um and then like um having a call of ministry put on my life and yeah and just i ended up um my first career so to speak was um being a university chaplain so i was a campus minister for a good number of years and so there's this always like walking in in step and in stride with where you are and who you have to be so i i think a lot of that obviously naturally delayed me because i was so caught up in what was happening and how fun it was at the time and um yeah, so that that probably like that was I spent seven years of my life there, so into my early thirties doing that type of work, uh, which was very rewarding and in hindsight uh, was great. But obviously, I couldn't stay in um, evangelical ministry um, as a queer person. Mm-hmm. So obviously, once I um, kind of felt like I was coming to the end of that, and there's certain things that happened. I remember my sister told me, she was like, you should probably quit before you get fired. <laughs> and it was true. And I ended up uh, leaving in good standing. Um, I'm sure if they listen to this podcast in hindsight, they could probably <laughs> take that away from me. I'm like, ooh. But um, as, as far as I know, and that has to do with like different areas where like I'm not fully out necessarily. And it, it, our world is so weird because... Um, a lot of that life lived out was when social media was really exploding, when Facebook mm. was like really like at the height of its um, beginning. And so like up until 2012, a lot of once I left that life, that ministry, I just shut a lot of social media down. And then it was like I just kind of disappeared for a while. And so um, a lot of people were probably like, where'd you go? Where'd you go? But that's kind of like the wave I've been riding. Like every time I've had a different career, I've kind of just, okay, next. And like compartmentalize my life that way. So that's probably why um, only recently I've actually uh, gone back on Facebook without a reason for work to be there and started inviting people from like all areas of my life, like high school, like church days, ministry days, um, my working in the environmental field, like, everyone I've kind of collected as like people that know parts of me along the journey. And I'm kind of just seeing how it plays out. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of um, conservatives, which up here is your Republicans. So I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of Trump supporters even on my Facebook page, which largely didn't exist previously because I was using my, my platform for work and I ended up just preaching to the choir 
So yeah, it's a very interesting time right now where I'm just starting to like, even like putting myself out there online, mm-hmm. which part of me still cringes. Cause I'm like, Oh, I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think um, there's a couple of things that I, that I want to chat about that are coming up so far, but there's, I, I always like to think of it almost like stages to coming out. Mm. Stage one might be us coming out to ourselves and then coming out to our friends, coming out to our parents, and then reconciling that spiritual, com- mm-hmm. theological component for some of us. But then there's also kind of this really important stage where we have to let people see us expressing our sexual orientation or gender. We have to let them see um, the pictures of us holding hands or kissing or yeah. sitting at home. That's a very different step to coming yeah. out because it's not just this verbal statement anymore. It's an action. Right. And that is a big piece of integration. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that would be, I suppose, Instagram versus Facebook, where I do have a private Instagram account where Mm -hmm. I do highlight a little bit more personal stuff about my life that obviously it's a personal account versus work account. Of course, there could be a thousand reasons why, but for you specifically, what is it about the vulnerability that that might be scary or challenging? Why so much privacy? Um, I think the first thing that came to mind when you asked is, um, probably like being afraid of being questioned. Okay. Cause I, I don't, I think, I, I don't know where this was from. I don't think it was from my family necessarily. Um, I, but well, I, I suppose a little bit of my family and through life, like the way I've been raised is to, it's weird. It's like question everything, but don't have your own opinions. Mm. It's this weird space. So if I'm like fully out about something that I'm like really private about, or I'm holding closely and someone like criticizes or questions that, I think, I think that would be, um, problematic. So I I think I've tried to like separate from that so I can like cognitively like explain something without bringing my emotions into it. Um, and so like, I use a lot of like, well, you, or I talk in third person, I don't necessarily bring it back to me. Um, and I think maybe a lot of that process was like, as I was like walking along and deconstructing my faith and how it's, um, and like what I was going to integrate and carry forward into like now being an adult and what that looks like and being a person, uh, a queer person. So, um, I think, yeah. And I think I was just, I became selective about the people in my life that I chose to share that information with. Um, I think I'm, I'm guessing we as queer people like do that often, especially coming out at first, we choose the ones we trust the most. And like I said, I, I, I have gotten a few people that are like, what? <laughs> but largely supportive um, of like my decisions because they're in my life and they see what I'm doing and it makes sense to them. I think it's just the people that are, haven't seen me a long time and that only knew me from those sections of my life. Like I remember I had a student that, um, or no, he was actually, he went to my Bible school and I remember he moved to the town where I was doing campus ministry. So he was really pumped that I was doing ministry and uh, when I switched working um, for campus ministry and I started working in the environmental field, I was working for Greenpeace up here in Canada and I got this message and this, this old person from my school was like, I'm just really worried about your soul. And I just want to question like, where are you at? Because 
this new age agenda. And uh, it was just like, oh God, okay, I have to get into this. And so there's this part of me that's like, I, I ha- I'm kind of impatient for the people that haven't come along on their journey or that come back at me with like, this is who you were, especially like this patriarchal, like, like, especially in the church role that I knew it was like, they're holding me up in a sense to fulfill their own agenda. And then coming back, no, this is who you were. Who are you now? Um, and so that was really frustrating. And I've had people along the whole way that said that too, especially coming out as queer. It was just like, but how can you, you used to say this and how can you be like that now? And so there's this weird part of me becoming the face or the voice of these organizations that I'm like, that was my job. Yeah, it was like a passion of mine. And I definitely believed in what I was doing at the time or I wouldn't have done it. But like, I can change, I can evolve. And it's just, I've been really hit by some people who haven't come along on that journey and they just constantly, so I feel like the questions just bring me right back. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have to explain this again. It's very laborsome and hurtful, I think, that at that point that I'm just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. So I think I agree. I, and the way that I hear this is almost as though the questioning is a very subtle way if maybe not even so subtle, but a form of rejection, of betrayal, mm-hmm. you know, to have a loved one or a family member or a close friend start questioning, it really kind of creates a dynamic of unsafety. Yeah. Yeah. The unsafety is definitely something I feel that I wouldn't know how to express that. And I guess that's where like I've learned really well to put up boundaries Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, those, they kind of like, I kind of throw them up as walls, but mm-hmm. because it's the, yeah, the fact that I feel unsafe and that's really hard to explain to someone, especially someone that's like, I'm just trying to love you by telling you the truth or like by questioning your motives. Cause you need to know the truth. Mm-hmm. So even as you're talking about that right now, what are you experiencing emotionally? What's happening? Um, I think a, a lot of, a lot of frustration around um especially people that like i guess like the what's the word like like i don't feel like they've taken the time to see or acknowledge where i've come and largely probably they just don't know like they don't know that it's been like 15 years since i was in youth group with them or 15 or like 15 years since like I was doing ministry Mm. or whatever. So I'm like to come back in after all all that time. And then, yeah, it largely brings up frustration because I feel like people that are in my life right now might not recognize how far I've come or like my journey. Um, I remember talking to a cousin recently and I love her. She's the first like extended family person that I've come out to. And I remember at the end of the conversation, um, I guess the last time I really talked to all of them because they're very Christian um, was when I was doing ministry and she at the end of the conversation and I was like, well, say hi to the cousins. Like if you talk to them and she's like, oh yeah, she's like, they'll probably want to know uh, if like how our conversation went. And I was like, tell them, like, tell them how I'm doing. Like, I don't mind if you share. And she's like, yeah, they'll just probably want to know if I like spoke truth to you. And I was like, oh, um, I was like, if you tell them anything, like tell them that I know, like tell them that like I spent four years like learning the Bible 
studying the scriptures since then I've spent 15 years deconstructing that and spending more time studying I'm like tell them I know what they need me to know and to talk to me about it Mm -hmm. and so it's this automatic like yeah it's just the frustration that like they would assume that I'm still at this place where I haven't done the the like done the deconstruction done the studying done the learning and the fact where if I would to look back at them as well. I would look at their lives and say, but you, you haven't done nearly as much learning or studying or, or deconstructing as I have. Um, but you're the one to, to speak this to me. And I think that's just the point of frustration where I'm like, don't speak to me, your judgments out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really big thing. It sounds like, um, not only rejection and betrayal, but also demeaning like belittling your intelligence and not trusting you to make the best decision for your own life somehow that Mm -hmm. they have this superior moral compass that you're lacking yeah and that's not i would imagine you would put up some walls to not feel that yeah and then yeah just the the amount of just because like and because i've switched careers so drastically from i went to from christian ministry and straight up, like my undergrad had nothing to do with environmentalism, but I started working in the environmental field because I had campus organizing experience. Mm. And so I, it was really interesting because there's, um, I mean, there's judgment everywhere. There's going to be judgment in, in, uh, in campus ministry and in evangelical campus ministry because, you know, for everyone that finds out that I'm queer, there's going to be that judgment in the environmental field. If they find out that I'm not like, super into science the exact way that they are it's like oh so it's like this really like weird thing where I keep like walking in and out of like these doors that I find myself like closeted by or like I don't know a better analogy was like I find myself like back in the cocoon every time Mm -hmm. and then coming out again Mm -hmm. um in different ways and uh I like this journey because I feel like I am every time fully coming into myself and and then back out into the world but it's pretty exhausting and then that's where you get like people in your life that question you and your motives and it's just like i just wish i don't know maybe i'll write a book or something and just be like here read this Mm -hmm. i don't want to talk to you about this anymore (laughs) but so Mm -hmm. many different yeah so so many different sides you know and i think that it this could almost i hear you when you say exhausting Mm-hmm. Who are you on the other side of this? What is your ultimate goal? What do you want life to feel like? Um, oh, I just realized this, yeah, within the last year is that I would, and this is why I go off social media. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just like go delete my stuff for like years. <laughs> I'll be like a year, two years. I think my longest stint was two years that I was off um, because I just want to take time out of the spotlight in a way and then I just that's where I think I do a lot of the the inner work and then when I come back I kind of reemerge as like a new version of myself and um but I just realized I think that I just don't want to be in the spotlight as much anymore and so it's it's super interesting because all of my friends like and I've made some major moves like every time I've done a career I've been in a different location so that's probably also influenced um, 
influence where I'm at. But every time I go somewhere new and I have this plan to be anonymous or I want to just be a little bit more behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's my personality or what lens, like what opportunities come to me, but I just end up like a lot to do with activism. I guess I just can't not get involved um, on different issues. And so, um, yeah, so like I've always stepped or been pushed back into the spotlight and then I'm like, oh, damn it, here I am again. (laughs) I'm like, I don't feel right. And so what I've come to recently is learning about like the imposter syndrome and like how that plays itself because I'm like, ah, sometimes I'm like, I'm not ready to be here. Like, it's not that I don't want to necessarily be there or be doing what I'm doing, but I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I don't feel worthy. I didn't actually go to school for this. (laughs) Like, what's happening? And I feel so like, Oh, it's the weirdest feeling. But yeah, learning about imposter syndrome was a big deal. Um, I think the one thing that bugs me about my past and where I've been is that um, I don't know if you've heard of this before with like within the evangelical culture or whatnot. It's like no matter I think what I do in the real world, it's just this frustrating thing that I, I have this thought that the majority of my family, no matter what I do, that's good even if they're my own like goals. Um, and it's just because, because I'm queer, it'll like, it's not good. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just not good. And I'm like, ah, it comes back to the point where it's like everything I'm working towards, everything has been like a personal goal of mine, like lifelong goal. It's like, you can chalk that up to being like, "Mm, you're just on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. You're like, you're going, you go. And, and then to have like be questioned about like, where I'm at against like evangelical theology. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm so beyond that. Like, I don't even know if you know that I'm ex evangelical um, and where my theology would lie now. Um, But then just, yeah, just to be like, have all of your stuff again, comes back to like not being respected or recognized. And it's like, Oh, that is absolute shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, sitting here and just like so wishing that you were in the room with me because it just feels mm-hmm. like there's so much emotion underneath this for you yeah i find myself kind of wondering where do you belong mm-hmm. that's a good question because my partner right now like the thing that um she's really she she has such a good sense of home and family mm-hmm. and I don't I don't and I guess that does make me emotional because um because I've adapted I've become so good at adapting and creating a home in wherever I am and having family uh, at a distance, but also creating chosen family. So like, there's all these things that I'm like, okay, well, what do normal people do when they have family or have a home? And I, that's another place. I think if I'm honest that I feel the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. is when I'm around (laughs) normal people that have family and, uh, and have a sense of belonging and home And, but then we're also like, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So then there's parts of me that I want to celebrate being like, well, I'm not attached. I don't have roots. I'm up for anything. I want to go after whatever. And so there's always that, like, I've just, I've made do and I've done well Mm -hmm. with what I have, but 
yeah, I guess that underlining, like, where do I belong and what would essentially ground me mm-hmm. isn't, isn't there. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it should be. I don't know how it could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I love the questions that you're asking right here. If I could maybe give some context here or kind of help make this digestible and feel workable. You know, the the first thing that I notice and many of us who have lived in the closet for so many years is that the one thing that creates a lot of wounding for us is our own competence. Mm. It's such a backwards paradox contradiction. Like it's so fascinating and painful that our competence to, to shape shift and to be the chameleon Oh, yeah. So that we can fabricate a sense of belonging actually starts to become the one thing that confuses us and makes us feel so uprooted. And then we began kind of um, hunting and searching for that one place where we could just let our natural skin show. And after a while, we kind of don't even know what that natural color is. Mm -hmm. And we're afraid because if we show it, then what if in the place where we might potentially be safe, we get kicked out one more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always said that. I was like, I'm a really good chameleon. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that. And I always thought that was, um, because it was the Myers-Briggs test that I did way back in the day for, for work. And so in a work context, I was like, oh, this will serve me well. Cause I literally was like in the middle and I remember the person that was doing the test with us was like, I've never seen someone that's literally so close to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, Oh, and I always use that as like a good thing, especially in work life. And I think that's where I felt, um, so separated and like I'm in within my work life because the work I do is so personal that I can't really say, Oh, it's just my work. Like the work, like when I was doing campus ministry, like I love student life. I love people coming to the knowledge of like God and unconditional love and however they view them and, and all that. Like, I love that when I look at my work in the environmental field, I'm like, I love like the idea of like preserving and protecting something that is like literally grounds us. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for hitting play. It's such a privilege to host this podcast and bring it to your ears. And if you're enjoying the show, we would be forever grateful if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, download, and give us a review. It goes a long way to help us ensure we can reach more people and empower the LGBTQ plus community to build the relationships we want. For a long time, I've just been especially in the transition of those roles, I've just been like, oh, okay, well, that was just work. But it's at the same time, and I think that's why I get so offended when people question me on it, because I'm like, this is my life's work. And I'm just happening, like, I happen to be doing, like, all of it. Like, and so I, I just wish, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wish there was some way that I could just stop pretending that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Just, like, fully integrate it within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that would make, make it easier because it's, it is, it's not just work. It's very personal to me. Yeah, absolutely. Boldness is something that we really favor right now in our, in our cultures. 
we love to be bold and post those things on social media, but boldness is very Mm -hmm. different than vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is a very, it's a much more challenging process. Yeah. And I think to stand, some of my favorite words here, naked and unashamed, that kind of vulnerability will help create a home. But my God, it is petrifying. Yep. Yeah. The reason I keep, I want to keep using that word home because I wonder if feeling home and, and internalizing the sense of home might then give you the ability to boldly assert and be vulnerable with all of these beautiful parts of you. Does that make sense? I'm thinking of a tree, like with these deep, deep, deep roots. When the wind comes, it's like, man, I got this because I'm rooted in myself. Mm -hmm. I think idealistically it makes sense in, I think I just, I think there's a gap in that way of like how, like how do you move past the imposter syndrome? of that and and is it even like me feeling that because i feel that or is it me feeling that because constructs have been placed on me um whereas like you can't be that you can't do that you can't think that way this and like and that in every single thing i've done i haven't fully been able to show up as all of me mm-hmm. so i have like closeted parts of myself or hid parts of myself and so I, I don't even know like the imposter syndrome. Like it's like, I want to be fully rooted and confident, but I just need to like, ah, it's like, I hate the, the cast off <laughs> wording, but like just to throw it away and just be like, okay, enough. Like if I feel insecure as hell within myself and that's fine, mm-hmm. but like stop putting these things on me that are like, you can't feel this way or you can't step out and confidently be um, a queer person of faith. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and it's like, and I just, I, I, yeah, so much of that because the activist within me and I like, I just, ugh, it makes me so frustrated for sure. These constraints. And so that's where I'm trying to like, yeah. How, how do I get past all of that to get home and then confidently like be there without just like fucking everyone and locking myself <laughs> inside One of the things, when we come out of the closet, oftentimes I think we leave our compass in the closet. And here's why. Because as we're growing up closeted, we never get to think about what we want and what we need. And that in many ways is not only a compass that helps guide us forward in our own preferences, but it almost, it, it becomes a very strong, even moral compass. I'm thinking of the little kiddo. Here's an example who says, mom, I'm hungry. And the mom says, I just gave you hot dogs. You shouldn't be hungry. Go away. And then the little kid walks away thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be hungry. Maybe, maybe what's wrong with me? Why is this happening? You know, no one else is hungry. Why am I? And then we lose this compass that says, I know what I want and I know what I need and I can trust myself. And when we grow up in religious environments or just closeted life, we're saying, I shouldn't want to want that. 
that part of me is dirty? Why do I have that part? Why do I crave this? Why don't they crave that? And we really begin to question our own guiding forces. Mm-hmm. And so when we come out of the closet, we say, I'm just going to leave that back there because I don't know how it functions. My, my needs and my wants, I've been taught that they're wrong. So as a queer person who's out, oftentimes I think we say, I'm just going to be the best chameleon I can. Right. That makes sense. And so I think one of the ways that we overcome imposter syndrome is to very gently and continuously ask, what do I need and what do I want? Because that gives us the ability to reconnect with the very fundamental desires of our heart. I want to feel cherished. I want to feel powerful. I want to feel creative. I want to feel desired. I want to feel safe. And when we're following those beautiful needs and wants, we're going to collect the people who mirror for us. Oh my gosh, Isaac, you're so cool. Or I'm so glad you're here. And then to have people this is that vulnerable part that say, I love it how you showed up this afternoon as this queer professional environmentalist woman of faith. I love it when you're here. And that naked and unashamed vulnerability gives you the ability to be seen by other people. Mm -hmm. And it was your desires that helped lead you to that place. Yeah. And I know that makes sense because when you ask like what I want to do, like what my, what my goal is, I think it was, I remember having someone who knew me from, um, from working in the environmental field and I, uh, had put together a conference that was highlighting, uh, in 2018 when this all started, I was putting together a conference called spirit pride up here in Canada and it was highlighting the gifts of the queer community. So it's like people of faith or not, but just people that are in the professional world. Like, so we had the mayor of Victoria, where I live, is she came and she spoke as a queer woman. We had um, different people. Um, actually, Jennifer Knapp came up for that one, um, which was really amazing. So different, powerful, powerful people, women. And I remember I just put it out on Facebook for the first time and I hadn't really done that before and I remember this one woman showed up and she just stood in front of me and she just said thank you because she and she's older than me and I really look up to her she's like super big activist in the town and she was just like thank you because because I was coming out about my spirituality she's like thank you for doing this because there's parts of me that I felt I feel like I can finally show and I'm like why do we do this to ourselves why do we all segment ourselves put ourselves and I'm like we don't want people to put us in boxes just so they can put us on the shelf that makes sense to them but why do we do this to ourselves mm-hmm. and when she said that and of course I broke down I was like bawling and someone happened to catch a photo of me bawling but I love the photo because it reminds me of that moment mm-hmm. that someone said thank you mm-hmm. and that was like the first time in myself I was like what if wow yes what if showing all sides of myself at all times actually allowed other people to fully lean in and live out of their intersections too. Like, duh, this mm-hmm. should be the thing. This mm-hmm. should be my, and I suppose that's becoming my goal, but it's just been such a hell of a journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, I tell you. 
one of the things that comes to mind right here, you're asking a really good question and I know maybe you didn't even realize you're asking a question, but nope. <laughs> nope. Um, we do this because of a very sneaky, powerful force in our relationships called enmeshment. Enmeshment mm-hmm. is this thing that says, I am responsible to keep you comfortable so that you don't leave me. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very subtle. This idea of, um, can, I, can I be joyful enough? Can I be thoughtful enough? Can I hide my personality well enough? Can I filter out the parts of me that feel unwelcome good enough to keep you comfortable in my presence? Right. And that's how we originally learn how to be the chameleon, by watching and scanning and collecting data about what keeps people happy, what keeps them smiling, what keeps them comfortable. And when we have too much data, we lose ourselves. Oh, that makes so much sense. We would just be overwritten. Absolutely. And so we use what I call this illusion of control. The illusion is that I can control your comfort in my presence by hiding who I am. And when we get a good dose of enmeshment, if our parents are incredibly judgmental, critical, if they're addicts, if they have kind of a lot of um, volatility, whether it might be mental health or, again, an addiction, a strong religious conviction, mm-hmm. that will really put us under this, mic- this perceived microscope that says, I have to perform by hiding who I am. And the tricky thing about this is we assume that we're valuable because we do a good job at that. And so to drop the performing means we lose value. We don't, we don't realize that we're more valuable when we're shining and we're beaming. Yeah. What you thinking here? Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to, um, I guess it's, it's hard to admit that I like the spotlight, (laughs) which Uh is so, cause I'm like that person that like half an hour ago, I said, I don't want to be in the spotlight. (laughs) You're probably like a duh, you're like a seven on the Enneagram. What are you fooling yourself? Because yes, I actually, um, and I, I think, but that's also where I found myself for mm-hmm. like the last, the last role I had uh, working for, um, up here, I was constantly on the news, um, talking about environmental issues and stuff like that. And it was like this, it was the most stressful thing in my life mm-hmm. that I would, I hate talking to media. I, oh, every time I got so nervous, but then of course I love seeing myself on TV, especially when they like, you know, edit the right sound bites uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm not sure. swearing on camera. Um, <laughs> But all of that, it's like that becomes what, so as much as like, I hate it when people assume they know me, it's like, I'm constantly put myself in these positions where they do know me. They know me really well, that part of me. And yet I still hate it when they think they know me. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So mm -hmm. it's, uh, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is there. Conceit, selfishness. I don't know what that, that, that brings up in me that I'm like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, like getting, getting known, I suppose for the right 
reasons yes. for like all all parts of me as much as I'm willing to show everyone mm-hmm. not just like bam like really like yeah to be the face of one thing I just want my face mm-hmm. <laughs> on my things I don't want right. to do anything for anyone else anymore um I guess that's where I'm at I, yeah that I'm obviously some burnout speaking there to do with the work that I've done but yeah it's really getting to the point where I'm like okay what's my face about yeah it's my face mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be about me mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yep there's another you know I, I love that question what do I want and what do I need I guess it's two but then also this really important question of how am I already enough it sounds so simple, but how am I enough for my friends, for my loved ones? What do they really cherish about me? Because yeah. if, if what we're doing is saying, okay, you're more comfortable with me when I'm smart. You're more comfortable in my presence when I'm funny. We, we love coming up with those answers because of the enmeshment. Mm-hmm. about... I'm enough when I'm vulnerable. I'm enough when I'm crying. I'm enough when I love being in the spotlight. I'm enough there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And having that really land on like, me (laughs) like the places where i'm yeah i'm enough because i'm enough not i'm enough because that's what you need me to be Mm -hmm. it's a big thing yeah this is where it gets really 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 disorienting because we're i call it the tadas when we say tada look at how i hid myself tada look at how i kept you comfortable tada look how i put the slippers out for you tada look at how i brought mm-hmm. you everything tada 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 and we feel so comfortable there but when we stop and it's those moments when we want to tada because we're afraid that they're going to leave and we don't that is a moment of serious disorientation who am i Where does my value come from? Why are they staying? Who do they see? Are they happy with who they see? Where does my power come from? What if I lose my value? We have this whole identity crisis in one little split second. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember having that thought, like if I, when I uh, left my last job, my last role, um, which a lot of people would have killed for that job, it was like an unheard of position. And I, I remember being with my partner and thinking like, I, ha- I, I consider myself to be someone that has a lot of confidence. Like I used to say, I'm not conceited. I just have enough self-esteem for both of us. But um, I used to, and I, I remember thinking, well, my partner still think I'm cool if I step away from this role. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's like, that was as real as it got for me. Yeah. And, of, and of course, I mean, of course, like I actually had that conversation with her and she was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I was only with you because you're cool. <laughs> Sarcasm. And I was like, oh, thank God. No, but it was such a cool moment for me to be able to be like, actually, I, I, I've experienced enough vulnerability with this person that I can even consider that. 
mm-hmm. because obviously that like plays a part in in my life of how mm-hmm. how I've chosen um, to show up to places and with people and for what causes. Um, there there had to have been some part of mine. I mean, I can't be completely altruistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be real. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was a really neat place that I would I would like to explore that further I think that's probably the best place for me right now to feel safe um and I feel so grateful in my relationship with my partner to be able to express vulnerability not just but not just feel it but to be able to express it absolutely and still be safe yeah yeah one thing that I like to, there's a, I have two more little thoughts. Okay. One of them is I, I like to encourage people to practice vulnerability like they're handing over the stackable Russian dolls. That is to say, to unstack all of them and get to that little, little doll in the middle, just the little one, and to hand it over and say, I'm just handing over this little nugget of vulnerability, and then I'm going to watch you. Are you trustworthy? Do you treat it with respect or do you throw it back in my face? And if you handle that and if you cherish that little nugget that I gave you, I'm going to give you the next biggest one. And I'm going to continue not only letting you earn my trust, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue practice trusting you with who I am. And over time, we kind of share more and more and more. I, this is the second part. I think that vulnerability at first is like climbing up this massive cliff only so that you jump off and you're kind of like, it's the, the cliff of vulnerability, right? Like you get the courage to climb up this thing and then the courage yeah. to jump off and then you're jumping and it's like this free fall and your gut is spinning. <laughs> but then you hit this little pillow down below. And the more that we run this course, we, we wear it down. So this mountain becomes a molehill. And sooner or later, the process of vulnerability is just this little slide down into safety without a scary free fall. And we don't mm. need to build up this courage because we've practiced it enough that we know it's a safe thing for us. Right. Yeah, that's, that's doable. I wonder if this integration piece for you and, and really feeling present and whole everywhere you go if it'll start with this practice of vulnerability to create the home and watching people say, I've seen every freaking Russian doll you could hand over. And I still think you're the most beautiful person in front of me. Mm -hmm. Having people do that is going to give you the confidence to go out and be whoever you need to be. We need each other for this mirroring process. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't get that. We say, uh, 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 you know, my Hispanic culture, no, mijo, don't, don't, boys, don't do that. Uh, no, mijo, that, don't talk about that. Don't say that. Hi, why, what are you doing that for? <laughs> and we begin yeah. saying, oh, hide that, shut that down. Ta-da, just kidding, ta-da. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and then we walk around hiding who we are. I'd really like to go through a little chart with you. Changed my life. It'll unpack some of the enmeshment. Okay. Some of the tadas. I think you might really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I yeah. I'm I'm such a um practice. I guess practical is the way it is. Like I just want to like 
and a linear thinker. So I'm like this to this to this, this, and then do that. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, what next? What next? Uh-huh. Yeah. Should be, and I, like I said, it's been like this journey where I feel like I'm, it's pretty new still of like being into this for two years, being like fully coming into all, all parts of myself. But I know like this next time right now is critical mm-hmm. for, for this journey. And I'm, and so I'm, I'm stoked to do the work. I think just, yeah, I need to really marinate on like the idea of home. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what is the biggest thing I'm taking away from this. Home is often a place where we create our identity. At first, we color pictures outside of the lines only to show them off and have our care providers hang them on the fridge. As we grow, we parade around our skill sets and our personalities, all in the earnest hope of getting feedback from those around us. Am I worth keeping? We subtly ask ourselves in the subconscious corners of our awareness. Home is a place where we test out our lovability. And then it becomes the place we leave to test and establish our lovability in the world. Always asking and always knowing that home is a place to which we can return if we need. Well, for some of us. Many of us in the LGBTQ community grow worried that what we offer isn't enough to cut it. We begin to worry and shapeshift as a way of ensuring our place in our own home, whether that be our physical home, our relational home, or our professional one. We prioritize the safety that others provide more than the safety we can find in our own beings, our own essence. And instead of expressing our true personalities and identities, we promote the image that we think others might want to see, the one we think that will keep us attached to others. We briefly touched on the concept of enmeshment, and we'll get into that in our next episode. But enmeshment, especially as queer children in straight homes, is our bread and butter. Feasting on the nutrients of enmeshment, we feel compelled to hide ourselves in our closets, shut down our personalities, and show the world another version of who we are. We buy into our costumes a little too well, one day having no idea how to be our authentic selves in any circumstances. We walk around thinking that the shades of our relational chameleon is truth, the truth of who we are. We'll feel lost, lonely, rejectable, and angry at the world for the cost we paid to belong within it. In the next episode, the guest and I continue to dive into the subconscious to really tear down the layers that robbed her from knowing and experiencing home in her own body and in her own context. But until then, I'd encourage you to examine any places you play the relational chameleon in your own life. Having some data points up to consciousness will play a major role in how you hear the next episode. A major shout out to our guest this week. Her bravery to look inside is amazing. Catch you next time. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.